It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast, the final podcast of the 2015 Division Three football season. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And you may have noticed that uh, this did not make it onto the postgame show on Saturday after uh, Stag Bowl 43, the one in which Mountain Union defeated St. Thomas by the score of 49-35. The internet went down at Salem Stadium uh, shortly after the game. So what we are doing is bringing you the Around the Nation podcast live, or at least we're recording it live. You're not listening to it live at Mac and Bob's in Salem, Virginia, a place where we traditionally hang out after the game enjoy a little bit of sanity after the insanity of the previous three days so uh we thank you for uh downloading us and uh tuning us in and uh keith i gotta be honest with you um this was not the game that either you or i expected i think i predicted 21 15 you predicted 21 17 and that was more or less the score right around the 11 30 mark or so of the third quarter a game in which uh mountain union Really did well with uh, going into the wind in the third quarter, especially, and came away with its 12th national championship. Yeah, I mean, the, the third quarter was huge for them. It was 14 all at the half. Uh, St. Thomas had scored the, the first couple touchdowns, and, and once Mountain Union got rolling offensively, they had, uh, you know, they, their tempo picked up on, on their first drive. They hit a couple big plays, uh, and, and then it became a game at that point. You know, early on, it was all St. Thomas. And, and I don't think anybody at that point thought St. Thomas was going to run away with it, but it certainly looked good for the Tommies. And then it was that third quarter. They made a few adjustments at halftime, and we talked about them in the post game. The, the one adjustment was to go with uh, a lot more split backs. I thought I thought uh, they they widened their splits on the offensive line a little bit, gave the running backs some more creases to run. And then they also used uh, two backs in the backfield, uh, one in the pistol and then one kind of offset. I don't know the, the, the term for it, what the, what the youngins are calling it. But um, they had they had one one back offset and then one in the pistol behind uh, Therese Scott, and what what Glenn Caruso said basically was the the rushing yards were there, and when they weren't there, when they made you know good stops defensively, uh, or when the passes weren't there, Therese Scott made a difference with, with his legs, just his pat, his uh, shiftiness. You know, he's someone who'd played wide receiver before, so he's used to having the ball in his hands, and he made a huge difference in that second half. Mountain Union scored thirty five in the second half and won this thing uh, not, not quite going away because St. Thomas made a game of it and they, and they came back, uh, had a possession down, down two possessions. But Mountain Union, 49-35, uh, back atop the Division Three world. Uh, in the course of this podcast, uh, of course, we talk about Stag Bowl 43 because I think that was a thing that happened. Um, <clears throat> we'll recap the game. We'll give out our game balls because we'll still do that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, who we've chosen as uh, players and coach of the year. Uh, we'll talk about what the uh, final uh, D3Football.com top 25 poll might look like, although uh, this podcast will drop before the final poll hits. Um, and then we'll you know see what... Uh, you know, some of these teams uh, look like going into next year, who are the teams that are losing a bunch of seniors <clears throat> and that sort of thing. But uh, I-, I wanted to go back to something that uh, kind of struck me early on uh, after the game, Keith, is that this game uh, was sort of like last week's Mountain Union game, but supersized. Think of it this way. Uh, Whitewater comes down, they score two quick field goals, and then a Mountain Union comes back and kind of runs away with it. But St. Thomas comes down, scores two touchdowns, not quickly, because St. Thomas doesn't score touchdowns quickly. But, you know, they're up uh, 14 to nothing with 10.59 to go in the second quarter. And it wasn't a, a big play this time or a, uh, or a turnover that got Mountain Union back into it. It was a sustained drive uh, that led to the touchdown pass to Lane Clark, and they came back and tied it, and St. Thomas you know, didn't get away from what it does well. Uh, They continued to pound the rock, especially in the first half and a little bit in the third quarter. And I I think that's what part of the difference was this week uh, against Mountain Union, which uh, Whitewater was not able or or unwilling to do last week. So, Pat, you and I have been doing this uh, going back to to the time these playoffs expanded to from 16 teams. Uh, 99 was when we started the, the D3Football.com site. Um, and in that time, Mount Union's been the, the dominant program or the second most dominant program pretty much the entire time. And one of the criticisms or things that comes up frequently when they get to Salem is, hey, they haven't had to deal with adversity 
over the course of a year. So we don't know what it's going, what it's going, what how they're going to respond. Each individual team, um, how they're going to respond um, when when it does hit during the Stag Bowl. And this particular Mountain Union group actually did deal with some adversity, considering that they lost the past two Stag Bowls, right? So that drove them a lot in, in the off season. And then on top of that. Um, having to deal with it a little bit against Whitewater last week, I, I think really made a, made a difference as far as when you looked at um, at the way this team was poised, and that's Vince Karras' word. And then uh, and then uh, they dealt with it really well in the first quarter on uh, on Friday night. I'm always waiting for Keith to finish so I can talk. I wanted to let our, our writers know who just came in. This is a, a picture of you can probably tell, and that's another picture of something from Pennsylvania, and we have four pizzas coming to the table. So just FYI, if those things fit within your uh, worldview. Look, we have a podcast. We're talking about food, beer. Mu- we got we got music in the background. It's basically like everyone else's podcast, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, should we... Uh, uh, I know we're kind of halfway in the middle of the discussion, but shall we skip ahead to game balls for a second? Absolutely. So the uh, the collective will of the media at uh, the game chose Tori Scott as the most outstanding player. And actually, I'll be honest with you, Keith, um, that was the first name I had on my ballot as well. Um, I think one of the things that changed it up for me is... Uh, when uh, Logan Nemeth, uh, first of all, passed the 200-yard mark, secondly, ran for those two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, when the game was certainly very much in doubt. That's what swung it over for me, and that's who I'll be uh, giving my game ball to. 30 carries, 220 yards, and two touchdowns. And, you know, we talked uh, previously, and we talked in the pregame show on Friday night uh, about the very few guys who ran successfully against St. Thomas, Travis Sparks Jackson from Laverne being one of them. He went over 100 yards. Mason Zurich had better numbers against uh, St. Thomas than Sam Sura did, but Logan Nemeth was fantastic. Yeah, and and this was a performance that carried over from what he did last week against uh, against Whitewater, so he has two, goes out as a senior, you know, two 200-yard games uh, on Friday night, 30 carries, 220 yards, no negative runs. Two, two touchdown runs, uh, the long of 42, and then seven yards per carry. He had 7.3 per carry. And uh, B.J. Mitchell came off the bench nine, uh, nine carries in the second half. He was at seven yards per carry as well, which leads me to my game ball. If you got two running backs that are going seven yards per carry. Are you going offensive line again? It's probably not just the running backs <laughs> who are getting it done. Yeah, I'm getting old. Am I getting predictable? I'm pretty sure I was pretty predictable too. So go ahead. I mean, it's it's easy to give it to the quarterback, and and you know, Glenn Caruso said it in the post game. Terry Scott, difference maker, absolutely in in every way, uh, leadership, and 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 poise. His passing is great. The ball kind of explodes out of his hands. He was great running the ball. Nemeth was was great as well. But none of that happens without these guys up front. So I'm going game ball, offensive line again. Uh, from left to right, Brooks Jenkins, Michael Frank, Mitch Doherty, Tyler Baker, Matt Fitchett. All of those guys except for the left tackle, Brooks Jenkins, those guys are all seniors. So uh, they went out They went out as, as champs. They went out on top. They got to run their final drive kind of mauling <laughs> yeah. down, the, down the field. And, and, you know, what better way Posing for – Posing their will on the opponent. Absolutely. What better way for, for offensive line to go out. My game ball goes there, especially when you factor in that – a lot of the pregame talk, and me included, was about uh, the St. Thomas offensive line, which averaged 306 pounds going across. These guys only averaged 268 going across. They're basically uh, every single one of them was right in that 260, 275 range. So pretty typical D3 lineman. You know, Mountain Union's not winning with um, with transfers up front or or guys that were you know super bulked up. Um, Guys who slip through the cracks. These are D three guys. You know, six one, two sixty five, six two, two seventy. Guys who worked for uh, for several years and and, uh, and became starters for one of the best programs in the country. And and they had a major effect on this game, especially in the second half. One of the things I like about coming to Mac and Bob's after the game is not necessarily the music. Uh, I'm talking about uh, watching the highlights on SportsCenter after the game. I just got reminded how much separation Roman Namdar had from the uh, the uh, Tommy's secondary on his touchdown catch. Now we're looking at uh, Nick Waldvogel dropping the ball and John Gould just picking it up and running with it all the way to the end zone. Yeah, that's a... That's a, uh, a a play that is really hard to account for, right? There were lots of strange plays and unusual plays, and a lot of them 
frankly, Keith, uh, ended up bouncing St. Thomas's way, right? You had that one, uh, and there was a, another play that I know uh, Adam Turr asked about in the post-game show or in the post-game news conference that uh, was something that could have put this game even further out of reach for St. Thomas. Well, like you could, someone could make the case that St. Thomas, um, not, uh, not all their plays were, were fortunate. I mean, fortunate is a fine word, right, because it doesn't imply luck. But they did. Ha- they did. Um, <laughs> well, I tried to say that a couple weeks ago, and I got dinged for it. So, well, look, for, it doesn't mean you were lucky, but it, it did mean you're in a good situation. All right. So we'll, we'll put it that way. The good situation the first time St. Thomas got the ball was uh, they only had to go 48 yards, score their first touchdown. Yep. Eight, eight plays, 48 yards, uh, three minutes, 11 seconds. Their second drive, they only go 34 yards. Uh, that was because Mount Union faked the punt, didn't get it, and uh, set up a very short field. So their first two drives were short fields. Uh, the, the the third touchdown at the beginning of the the third quarter was a broken play. Gould bought some time, and I uh, certainly gets credit for that. And Nick Waldvogel uh, broke free from Alex Kochev for a 58-yard touchdown pass. The fourth touchdown, of course, was that that uh, Gould just the ball bounced into his hands. It is a hustle play. Glenn Caruso talked about that uh, in the post game because he's he's uh, most quarterbacks are just standing around back there. He's trailing the play. The uh, there, that was a, a fortunate play. The other one that uh, jumped out right was uh, the Nick Waldvogel catching the ball on the uh, on the broken play where St. Thomas goes for it on fourth down. You think that they might punt it because Gould is standing back an extra couple steps in the shotgun. Um, I would say that too, but I think you know Keith. I wouldn't necessarily as much discount the. Uh, the short fields, because that's not necessarily luck or fortune. It's just kind of the way the game was tonight. We haven't actually even really talked so much about the wind, which was blowing uh, from uh, one end zone to the other for pretty steadily between 20 and 30 miles an hour the whole night. Yeah, look, look, a field position is not luck, right? St. Thomas earned the, those short fields by the way their defense played by forcing Mount Union to punt. So but let's clear that the, 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 the boards of that now. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying they're lucky, but they certainly uh, had good fortune, took advantage of, of their good fortune tonight. A um, lot of strategy was was played into to, uh, the game as well, as you, as you mentioned, with the wind blowing between 15 to 25 miles per hour, pretty much the whole night blowing directly across the field. It was the type of night where punts would go up with a normal trajectory, come down almost in a kind of a flat line. You, you saw um, some passes b- bobble. So the the wind was a factor, mostly on special teams, but also a little bit in the in the passing game. The most successful passes really from Mount Union were were quick slants, uh, hitting Roman Namdar. But the but the one uh, deep ball that they did hit, and and, and Therese Scott's his pass did, didn't float at all in the uh, yeah. in the wind. I mean, it was a perfect ball to to Roman Namdar, the double move, and and that was a big touchdown. For uh, for Mountain Union uh, in the second quarter. With the plates, it's okay. We, we've uh, we've established that we're eating uh, in the course of this podcast. Um, uh, let's see, what else uh, should we talk about of the game? Um, we talked a little bit about this in the post game show. If anybody was able to hear the post game show, because I don't know when the internet went down. Oh, maybe I wrote it on the website a little bit. Uh, Jordan Roberts. I don't remember what his numbers were at half, but. He had, uh, I think, 101 yards or something like that at halftime. It ended with just 135. And obviously some of that is, you know, the, the offensive focus goes away from that, right, when the, when you have the wind at your back for a quarter. And then it goes away again when you're down by 21 points for a time or down by 14 for a majority of the uh, third and fourth quarter. Yeah, look, th- this was a 21-14 St. Thomas lead at 12:44 of the third quarter. Then Mountain Union scores... In uh, in a minute 32, get the ball right back. And St. Thomas has a short drive. They score in a minute seven. Then they get Saint, stop St. Thomas again. Get the ball back, and they score in a minute 12. So yeah. Mountain Union turned this game around in a hurry. And they did that with the wind in their face. All, yes, all three of those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and uh, Therese Scott, when when they threw into the wind, they kept their passes short. They ran a lot of bubble screens, a lot of quick slants. Yeah. Um, so they weren't they weren't gunning it down the field. And then smartly. When they uh, when they had the ball at their back, that's uh, or the wind at their back. That's that was when most of the the deep attempts came. But this ended up being a game where the deep ball uh, was was taken out of it for for portions of it. I mean, St. Thomas, uh, you know, took a couple shots yeah. to to Dowdle, to Wald Vogel, 
But for the most part, this was a game that, and this, we kind of expected this. It was played at the line of scrimmage, yeah. and uh, and for a while, St. Thomas's uh, offensive line, um, you know, mauled. They they started out this game kind of mauling, and then Mount Union, their defensive line, they started to pack the box, started to hold up against the um, the run a lot more, and uh, and their offensive line got going in the second half. And unrelated to anything I just said, I just caught a whiff of that pizza. <laughs> Yeah, we'll uh, hopefully have some pizza. It's a little difficult to eat while we're talking, but um, um, I'll get to eat because uh, basically my role here is to just be point guard and feed you uh, lines or be the play-by-play guy and then you do the uh, color a- uh, analysis. All I heard was feed me. <laughs> and I'm not sure what else other people heard because I forgot to point the microphone in my direction. Um, let's see. So we talked about the conditions. We talked about uh, Mount Union's uh, success on offense. Um, let's go back to defense a little bit. Um, you know, it's uh, in the end. You know, St. Thomas rolls up 328 yards of total offense, but in the grand scheme of things, you compare that to what they did over the course of the rest of the season. That's uh, just a little bit over 200 yards below their average and and I think one of the things too Keith is a a storyline that we talked about and I at least thought about and I think we talked about on the podcast as far back as mid-season the difference between uh, John Gould as a quarterback and the typical kind of quarterbacks who lead championship teams at the Division 3 level right you know um, you have to think about you look at uh, his numbers 8 for 22 on Friday night with an interception just 123 yards the last guy who won a national championship with numbers like that, right? We have to go back to Wisconsin Whitewater, right? And uh, Danny Jones, who uh, transferred in from Cal Lutheran. I'm, I know this is still Friday. I'm still pulling out all the deep stuff out of the archive, but that's the last time I think that a team really won a national championship with a a guy who was not uh, a you know a. a a playmaker himself, a quarterback, I would say. Yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of, um, which was why I was kind of excited that you mentioned it. Yeah, uh, Danny Jones was a guy who made a few plays with his legs and uh, and and threw the ball. You know, when Whitewater needed him to. Uh, John Gould was the same way tonight. He, I think he earned my respect. Anybody who watched this game, I think he he earned uh, the respect. He had a bad interception late. But St. Thomas was down two touchdowns at that point. Uh, they they had gotten the onside kick, so they were driving to try to make it a one score game with about six and a half minutes to go. And I uh, just ill advised pass into double co- double coverage. Uh, that was his worst play of the night. But other than that, uh, he made he, he bought time. When, he, yeah. when they had to throw, they ran uh, design runs with him, and uh, and he was shifty in the open field. His speed was was um, you know he may be the fastest guy on that offense. So um, I, he was he was a, you know plenty plenty good quarterback. I mean good enough obviously to, to lead a team to fourteen wins. Um, he didn't he didn't put up the gaudy numbers like a Joe Callahan or like uh, like Sam Riddle. Um, but St. Thomas didn't ask him to do that, and what they did ask him to do, he got done. So, so uh, he certainly earned a lot of respect tonight. And and, and you know, again, a typical D three guy, five nine, one eighty five. You know, guy he's not playing quarterback at any other level. Right, and very typical of uh, the guys that uh, generally have played quarterback for Glenn Caruso over there over the course of the last few seasons as well. Well, yeah, you'd know that better than me because you you live uh, practically next door to uh, to the Tommy's campus in Saint Paul. Seems like it sometimes, yeah. And look, that, that's great because the the way the Mayak is, and, and with the why with Wisconsin being uh, stayed over from Minnesota, you get to see the dominant programs, you, you know, a couple times a year, and that's that's great for us. You know, we try to a um, couple of us who live in, in work with the site are based in Virginia. Uh, we try to see the Eastern teams and the Mid-Atlantic teams, and then we got Tur and Cincinnati. Uh, and and as, long as, as, as long as Thomas Moore is good, uh, that, that'll be good for us. So, look, we're, we're based in, in good spots right now. We don't, uh, we don't have someone, you know, in, in McMinnville, Oregon, but we have uh, friends at a lot of the great programs as well. Same thing in Texas. So um, I, I, I'm just ex- excited kind of the, the, uh, to see the rise of St. Thomas. I thought a lot of people were, 
were glad to see someone different get to Salem, and and um, you know part of it was because Mount Union and Whitewater were on the same side of the bracket. But I, I I don't I don't think if Whitewater had been on St. Thomas's side that that Whitewater would have beat St. Thomas. They were a very legit number two team, and as we fill out our our final ballots. You know, one two is not going to be a, a problem for us this year. There have been some years in the past few where the best game was played in the semifinals, and we've given out the number two spot to someone who wasn't here in Salem. Uh, that's not going to be the case this season. Do you want to talk about final poll type stuff now, or do you want to do player of the year stuff first? Well, I thought the natural segue was there to, to go to um, <laughs> final poll stuff, but it's not there anymore. So whichever one you want to do. Uh, well, I know. Usually we have the opportunity to stop and pause the recording and uh, talk about those things. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we're uh, recording straight into a recording device and not into a laptop this time. So it is one take, one take only. But let's go ahead and talk about the final poll. So, yes. And hey, Dave. I would love to have some pizza. <laughs> I know. Dave's been a... He just gave you the cool story, bro, look. <laughs> Dave's been producer all week, and he's taken a lot of crap. Um, in fact, aren't we missing somebody? Okay. All right, then. So, uh, and you, when you mentioned Adam Turr, I turned around and looked at him. He is editing his own story and posting it, which is awesome. That's great. It will get up an hour earlier this way because uh, uh, I can't uh, multitask and do that. I can multitask and uh, have a beer and, and maybe a slice of pizza. Thank you. That would be awesome. Yes. Okay. Final poll. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yes. Number one, number two, pretty easy. Um, and for that reason, I was able to uh, really push our voters to get their uh, final bracket out or their final poll out pretty quickly because I felt like you really only had to swap one team at the top. But then, you know, you and I have always talked typically on this podcast, too, about how the chain of teams that follow uh, is affected. Um, so, for example, St. Thomas performed well on Friday night. I, I think that's clear. They, as you said, I agree, they would have beaten Wisconsin Whitewater, especially if Whitewater came to St. Thomas. So I think there's no real question there. But the question is then, you know, who? how about the teams that performed well against St. Thomas, especially uh, in the playoffs? That would include Linfield. I think Wabash uh, deserves to be in that conversation. St. John's. Uh, deserves to be in that conversation too, both for their regular season uh, semi-competitive game, 35-14, and then the 38-19 game in the playoffs. Those are you know as close as anybody else before Friday night had played Mountain Union. So how much do you favor those teams, I guess, as opposed to uh, teams such as Wesley and Whitewater, who didn't necessarily play Mountain Union close, I guess? Yeah, the, I broke this thing down in, into tiers. Um by the way, the background music got just got a lot better the past few songs. I'm just saying, <laughs> we we had some slow songs on here early, and I, I thought we were we were going to put listeners to sleep. Well, I just hope that like iTunes and Apple don't uh, ding us for having music in our podcast all of a sudden, but they definitely can't ding us for having food. <laughs> well, that's not their their uh, their purvey right their area. Look, um, the the final top twenty five, the top two teams, Mount Union and St. Thomas. I, I kind of held out off uh, my ballot, and I'll have to file it tonight, please, Pat. Um, that would be great, thanks. But but I have it, you know, sketched out a little bit here, and and part of what I was waiting to see is if St. Thomas won by a couple of scores, that would pull St. John's up because St. John's won 11 games. The only two losses were to St. Thomas because of where they are. Um, in geographically and where they are, where they got placed in the bracket, they had to go through St. Thomas twice. So if if St. Thomas had been the champion, that would have been a a, a consideration. Now that it's, that it's really such a strange season for St. John's too, they played just ten teams. They played Dubuque twice, and they played St. Uh, St. Thomas twice. They didn't play anybody else. Yeah, and I, that always annoys me about the playoffs. You know that to have rematches, especially in the early rounds, it can be inevitable later in the thing. But um, but I, I you know I wish we could avoid that. We know what the constraints are, so we don't have to kind of cover that ground that, that we always cover. But let's break it down in, into tiers, right? The, the first tier, since St. John's doesn't, doesn't get pulled up by St. Thomas, really Mount Union winning by a couple touchdowns, uh, that, may, that may pull up you know, Wesley and Whitewater because those teams got blown out by Mount Union too, but now it doesn't look quite as bad. So the tier, uh, the tiers of Mount Union, St. Thomas, one and two. Then after that I have Linfield, Whitewater, Oshkosh, Mary Harden, Baylor—that we have to, to um, you know, sort out. Uh, Mary Harden, Baylor lost by one score, 
at Linfield, a game where Linfield, one of the great games of the year, to be quite honest, especially with a backup quarterback throwing for 492 yards for, for Linfield. Uh, Linfield wins that on a, on a uh, field goal with three seconds left. So that was one of the memorable games of the season. Linfield, Mary Hart, and Baylor right next to each other. Whitewater and Oshkosh right next to each other as well in, uh, in the quarterfinal round, 31-29 game. Oshkosh goes for two, gets stopped about a half yard short, uh, gets the ball back, and uh, Whitewater has to come up with one more stop with about a minute eight left in that game. So that's my, uh, that's my second tier. That gives us top six, uh, and the order I have them right now is um, Mountain Union, St. Thomas, Linfield, Whitewater, Oshkosh. That's your top five. Mary Harden, Baylor at number six. Certainly people could argue uh, with that. Then the next tier, St. John's, Wesley, Johns Hopkins, Wheaton, Harden-Simmons, Wabash, Thomas Moore. They often be in that tier as well. And then you, you get a little bit below that. You, you know, you're talking about Cortland State, Salisbury, uh, a couple of teams that didn't make the playoffs, uh, Platteville, North Central, but, but had great seasons in, in, in great conferences. I think the, the, the hard part is probably after the top five, after um, – Linfield, Whitewater, Oshkosh, Mary Harden, Baylor, I think is the number six. The, the, real, the real decision point, I think, is probably seven. Uh, Wheaton is a team that, when we've talked about this in the past, I think we may have kind of skipped over. I think that was a really good Wheaton team this year. Uh, they were competitive with Whitewater in a sense. I mean, uh, you know, the, the final score doesn't necessarily indicate that. The second half of that game was uh, was pretty nondescript right I, if I, I'm, now I'm working from memory because I was there but I don't have details in front of me but I think Wheaton scored once in the second half and nobody else did right something like that the, just the fact that in the broadcast tonight you were able to remember the weather in the 2002 game but you can't remember a game you saw three weeks ago <laughs> is, is amazing to me long term versus I really want to forget everything about the 2002 Stag Bowl let's be honest with you but yes I remember that the wind was whipping uh, 30 miles an hour exactly the same way from left goal post to uh, right goal post but I really want to forget the rest of it 45 or 48 to 7 48 7 yeah so, so to get back to your point, though, uh, this, was, point. this was a good Wheaton team this year, and uh, they, they went out in the playoffs 34, 31-14 to Whitewater in the second round. And you forget about teams that go out early. Harden-Simmons, same way. Had to play Mary Harden-Baylor in the first round, and uh, they beat Mary Harden-Baylor during the season, lost to them in the playoffs. But I think that's still probably a top-10 team. Um, <clears throat> I see down there you have I'm, – I'm, I'm looking over your shoulder, obviously. And we should talk about a couple of those other teams, like uh, WNL. Uh, Amherst, I know you like to vote for the NESCAC team if it's undefeated. I, only if it's undefeated. I mean, the, yeah, it's it's hard. You know, when it, when it's seven and one, there's nothing to compare it to. There's no non-conference results. When they're undefeated, I kind of use the logic of they're recruiting the same type of athletes as a Johns Hopkins, as a WNL. Um, so if if I'm going to rank, you know, in the top fifteen, top twenty schools like that, uh, you know, then Amherst, an undefeated Amherst team, is probably in that ballpark. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't really quibble with a whole lot of what's uh, in there. In all honesty, I, I think that uh, you now I did my final poll, assuming Mountain Union was going to win uh, late at night on Monday, um, and, and I was mostly awake. So I will go back and review it. But I, I feel pretty secure that that looks uh, pretty similar to what I put out there. So, I, you know, obviously, one of the things that I would like to do at some point was to be able to easily split out kind of the various factions of our voters it's a it's a it's eight media members a lot of which are members of our staff but not all um eight coaches and then eight sports information directors and i really think that uh, just from reading the coaches ballots uh sometimes that it very much mirrors the afca poll and i think we probably overlap on a, a voter or two there um, but I would be interested just to kind of pull the splits, maybe not necessarily publish them, but I think that we would see some significant differences in how each of those factions kind of sets out their ballot. That's, a, that's an interesting point. We've learned over the years that coaches um, favor wins. Yeah. You know, you, you Regardless of strength of schedule. Right. You can't argue. Coach, coaches find, find that it's hard enough to, to win, to beat anyone uh, in any, on an, under any circumstances that you know they tend to favor undefeated teams. Uh, you and I, because we understand i guess how d3 overlaps and we spend so much time kind of analyzing it we look at teams like north central seven and three this season they lost 50 49 to wesley they lost uh an overtime game to wisconsin platteville ended up being a eight win team in the WIAC, and uh they, they led by three touchdowns in both of those games and then they lost to wheaton which which is undefeated um you know advanced around in the playoffs so 
you, you figure there there are ten and O teams across the country, nine and one teams that that didn't play half the schedule that uh, that North Central played. So when you see us put them in the top fifteen, it's it's that kind of it's respecting what they did, and it's also acknowledging the fact that those games were all toss up games. North Central just didn't pull any of them out. No, but uh, they were competitive in uh, all of them. And they did beat somebody too. You know, a lot of times we 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 try to remind ourselves to say it's not just who who you lost to, but who did you beat. Well, uh, North Central had a big win over uh, Illinois Wesleyan, um, which was a seven win team uh, as well. So you know, there, there are. I think Illinois Wesleyan then lost to North Park. They made it in six and four. All right, I take it back. But um, at the time, you know. Yes, exactly. At the time, it was a, it was a big win, and it was late in the season. It was after they had lost the the Wheaton game. They were their playoff hopes were done if they don't win that Illinois Wesleyan game. So, uh, a lot of times we do spend time looking at how the how everyone overlaps, uh, and also how uh, you know whether teams had big wins this season, not just close losses to good teams. Keith, one of the questions that we asked at the very beginning of the season, and I, I'm deviating from the rundown here for a second, um, was uh, is Wabash ready to join the elite? Did they do so in your opinion? And I'm throwing you a curveball here in a football podcast. Well, it's, it's fine. I have an answer. Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think, um, you know, the St. Thomas result, 38-7, um, you know, it, it was a game for portions of it. St. Thomas needed to pull out a few tricks on, uh, on, on special teams to, to get points in that game. Um, and St. Thomas spoke respectfully of, of the Wabash defense. So I know that, that Wabash is in a, in a tier that's top 10, top 12 in the country. But if you're talking about elite, the, the only team that really broke through to a, to a class where they hadn't been previously um, this season is St. Thomas. That's the team that now, uh, with a second trip to the Stag Bowl, you start to wonder, are they, are they a team that every year is going to challenge for a championship? Not just the Mayak championship, not just advance a couple rounds in the playoffs, but are they going to be a team that is a threat to get to Salem every season? Uh, as far as Wabash, I, I think they kind of end up where they are. Johns Hopkins, same way, a team that was capable of beating Wesley this season but probably stays in that same tier. Thomas Moore. Now, the Thomas Moore Wabash game was one of the great games of the season. Great finish, uh, you know, maybe the play of the year yeah. in, in that overtime. That's another another program that uh, that broke through by you know getting a playoff win, but probably is in that same tier with Wabash with Johns Hopkins. We'll talk a little bit later about <clears throat> what some of the teams have coming back. I don't feel like Thomas Moore is a particularly senior-laden team, right? C.T. Terrence, a young guy. Uh, they had two guys who were quarterbacks uh, this year, and Brennan Kunz was a younger guy, right? I get the right guy? Yeah, look, if you want to take the pizza out of Adam Turo's mouth, he can come here and, 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 and <laughs> well, talk, <yes. laughs> and yeah, talk about Thomas Moore uh, a lot more knowledgeably than I could because he saw them several times this season. But, well, we'll, yeah. we'll tee up Adam to come talk about Thomas Moore on the podcast in about five minutes or so. No, we by by five minutes from now we'll be way, we'll be way past that. Oh, we just that. want to talk about future. We want to talk about 2016 season stuff. Sorry, okay. we're producing as we go. I do think that, um, especially these two teams we saw Friday night in Salem, very senior laden. Uh, both of them, four senior starters on the offensive line. Mountain Union's going to have to place replace Therese Scott. St. Thomas is going to have to replace um, John Gould. Other. Really good quarterbacks this season that'll have to be replaced. Wesley's got to find a guy for Joe Callahan. But a, a funny thing happened when when I was uh, driving down, listening to the 2012 podcast, trying to review uh, the last Mountain Union St. Thomas Stag Bowl matchup, just for any kind of background that we could use on the on the uh, broadcast on Friday night. We, we talked about this. We had the same discussion in a two, 2012 context, and we talked about how Wesley is going to have to replace a quarterback, try to find someone the level of Shane McSweeney, Justin Sadalari, and we were, yeah, they probably got a guy in the pipeline. Well, that guy was Joe Callahan, who just won the Gallardi Trophy. Same thing, um, you know, when, when Kevin Burke was gone from Mount Union, we said, well, how, they, how can anyone live up to what Kevin Burke did? Well, well, Therese Scott just uh, you know won the most outstanding player in the Stag Bowl. So a lot of times um, we worry about these great programs losing quarterbacks, and, uh, and and they have a guy in the pipeline who ends up in time being just as good a as anyone. Now, one team that's not losing its quarterback um, and, and had the key injury of the postseason really is uh, is Linfield. That's true, and I I don't have any reason to believe that. Uh that Tom Riddle 
Sam Riddle won't be ready to, or Tom Riddle for that matter, won't be ready to uh, play quarterback once again. I assumed that was a high ankle sprain. Go ahead. Oh, those beers are starting to hit, Pat, so this podcast might get real good soon. <laughs> no, I, I'm capable of making that mistake when perfectly sober. Um, uh, uh, the other thing I was going to say is I, I really wanted to just point out that Keith is very intent about talking about Division Three football, and I'm just kind of over here rocking out to Walk the Moon because that's one of my kids' favorite songs. Yeah, we, we hit some One Direction. We had Pharrell Williams up in here, Megan Trainer. This is like the, the most hip podcast we've we've ever had. And, you know, no, nobody that's hip you probably even uses the word hip. Um, no, probably not. Look, if you, if you want to wrap sure. this thing up, Pat, and start eating and drinking sure. more, then, uh, sure, yeah. then let's, talk, uh, let's talk Players of the Year. Well, Adam's sitting over there ready to talk about uh, Thomas More 2016. But, uh, oh, cool. Well, all right, then I'm going to get some pizza. I'll be back, y'all. All right, that's a good idea, actually. Let's let the Keith have a, a break, and we'll welcome in Adam Turr, uh, our uh, Around the Mid-Atlantic columnist, our uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati area native. I would love the Hawaiian pizza, if possible. Um, it's part of my official intro. <laughs> we've been doing this pretty much the whole time. Um, so... Uh, our general impression, Keith's and mine, of, of Thomas Moore is that it's actually a pretty young team that's going to have a, a bunch of guys coming back because um, I believe C.T. Tarrant is, uh, was a sophomore this year, if I'm correct, and one of, a junior. Okay, great. And one of those uh, quarterbacks is at least coming back. So uh, tell us a little bit about um, just uh, Thomas Moore 2016. Sure, with no context whatsoever into know, where this right? conversation came from. Thomas Moore actually loses a lot of their oh. defense, uh, a lot of the strength of their team, a lot of the leadership. Uh, they lose, and their receivers too, Goose Cohorn, Tyler Vogelpohl. Um, they do bring back uh, a lot on the offensive line, but you know it, it's going to be another battle. I mean, we saw how much more competitive the pack is with Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Uh, in case Western in it this year, uh, and always Washington Jefferson. So I think Thomas Moore is going to have an uphill battle next year, being the top dog again, and it, it's going to be tough to get back, to be honest. Um, let's. How about a little bit about Wabash? I know you didn't follow them as closely, but you were there for that uh, Wabash Thomas Moore game. Yeah. And, then, and I know we have a, a Wabash grad behind us, but uh, we'll get the less biased uh, <laughs> version. Yeah, I got to know Wabash, uh, especially in the postseason. They got their quarterback coming back next year. Uh, they're going to obviously miss Mason Zurich, but you know the offensive line, um, and it's it's not just the offensive line. It's it's the style, and it, they're just one of those teams that year in and year out, they're going to be built with the ground game and defense. They're going to be able to get to the second round. Can they get to the past the third round? That's the question. They're one of those teams that we talk about on the cusp, but I think they're the they're the kind of team that can reload. They don't rely. Mason Zurich was a breakout player this year, but he's not you know a flash in the pan, once in a lifetime quarterback or you know defensive player that you can't replicate. You know he he's someone that is going to be tough. He even said it. You know he said he hopes all his records uh, get broken by the guys under him next year, and they're guys in the pipeline. Um, I asked Keith the question, uh, if, the question that we asked in the preseason in kickoff. Uh, basically is, did Wabash join the elite this this year? And he didn't think so, and I didn't respond, but I didn't. I guess I don't think so either. I think that you don't necessarily have to beat someone purple, but you have to beat someone purple or Wesley, and I'm not sure who else necessarily qualifies in order to get that to get into that group in order to in order to join the group you have to beat somebody in the group i or at the very least if nothing else play one of those uh, teams competitively they only had one option or one opportunity this year and they didn't uh, they didn't do so in that quarterfinal game against St. Thomas no and uh, actually Glenn Caruso actually asked me you know what had happened if Thomas Moore pulled that game out what would the res- what did I think the result would have been against the Tommies and I said it probably would have been the same if not worse uh, just stylistically and I, th- I you know there's just a clear separation and let's not get Let's not go down the path of defining what an elite Division Three team is. Oh, that's a slippery slope and a oh, word we don't want to throw around here. Uh, that's actually it. what we do in the podcast, but that's okay. You're good. I listen every week. I, I, I don't. I don't like hearing that do word. We, uh, do we define elite in the podcast? Keith, Keith's no. grabbing pizza. He says no. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> look, the best the best way to describe it though is is there, there's levels, right? There's no just what you know, right? That's bad. You can't you can't just say. Well, these guys are elite. You, 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 we we're saying Wabash didn't play St. Thomas closely, but they uh, they beat Hampton Sydney, you know, a winning team, right? They beat them thirty five three. Sydney was six and four. I mean, but I'm saying there's lots of teams that are pretty good teams that that Wabash crushed, right? And then Wabash got crushed. I'm just saying. Well, I know. I'm sorry. Way to work. Wait, chance way to work that everyone. into a podcast. Keith, remind us what the score of the game was. Remind us. End it right there. That's a perfect season. <laughs> That's a walk off. That's the Around the Nation podcast. No. 
Yeah, I mean, Wabash is right there on the cusp. Like I, I, like I said earlier in the pregame show tonight, there's probably six teams that we consider in the top tier, and then Wabash is one of the next two, three, or one behind that group. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's unfair. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a perfectly reasonable uh, spot to put them. It still puts them in the top ten. Uh, they've earned that. I don't remember if we did we. Did we open with them like number nine or number ten, something like that? Right, we opened with them really high, but they they lived up to it. Uh, Keith shrugs because he doesn't remember the preseason was, poll. Uh, Ryan Tips right. thinks it was nine, yeah. So. But we opened with St. Thomas at fourteen, and yeah, you know they won their way up. Yeah, and and they reminded us each week that we opened with them fourteen, and, and teams do pay attention to that. I can't tell you how many playoff games I covered this year. Every single one where the players, not the coaches, the players, they read. Everything from the preseason all throughout every top 25. So they're paying attention to who's moving up into this next tier every week. And that's something that each team, I think, desires to break through to where can we be considered a favorite. That's the thing is I think the best way to define these tiers is who can be favored to win a third-round playoff game. I think that's a good demarcation line. Does that sound fair? I appreciate that. I I think that makes sense. Um I know that our, our colleague Gordon Mann has an elaborate, somewhat tier uh, system of tiers, which involves uh, Mountain Union and Whitewater and anybody who can be competitive with them. And then who are the teams below them who are, are good against everybody else but wouldn't necessarily compete with one of those. And that's like tier two. And then tier three are tier three is pretty big. Um, but tier two certainly involves Wabash. This year probably involved St. John's, involved Thomas More. Um, I, I think that maybe Harden Simmons might have played itself up. It's kind of hard to tell, and, and maybe we are going down a rabbit hole at this what point. About, I mean, the CCIW boggled my mind this year. I mean, I don't know how good Wheaton was, and I don't know because I don't know how good North Central was this year. Right. I don't know is Elmhurst going to come back again. I mean, the CCIW is that conference, and we also look at it from a conference standpoint. There are conference tiers. We got the WIAC, we got the MIAC. After that, yeah. You know, where do we? I mean, we talk. I was talking to some people tonight about you know the ODAC. No matter how good you are in the ODAC, WNO goes ten and zero. They don't contend even remotely in a game that we all thought they would show something in the playoffs. And that's a conference in a long time hasn't shown much. You know, Huntington, the USA South surprised. How about them hanging with Mary Harden Ballard till the second half? True, and legitimately so. I watched a little bit. Yeah, it was not by trickeration or anything. Yeah, so I mean, there are conferences that rise and fall just as much as the teams do, and it seems like there's a groundswell that you know when one team rises, the conference rises with them. The NJAC, we thought Wesley would walk right through that conference, and they didn't even win it. True. Um, we have. Uh, one of the things left on our uh, docket for the night is to uh, talk about players and coach of the year. I, I heard you in the background uh, advocating for Regis Scaife. We've already made the decision, but I wanted to let you give your uh, your pitch or your take because uh, he certainly was he our regional coach of the year. Yeah, that's what I look at first. Is you know who are the four regional coaches of the year? We figure it's going to be one of them. Most not years it is not necessarily. Most years it is. Uh, I always weigh in with the, my offensive and defensive player of the year opinions. I've heard who the winners are, and I agree completely. No objections to either of those there. Um, Regis Scaife. <laughs> Spoilers. That, that was as vague as possible. Um, they were, they, we picked them. You've heard of them. Chances are you've heard of them. Uh, possibly even this week. Uh, yeah, Regis Scaife, I, I thought, deservedly won the, the South Region Coach of the Year because he inherited a program that was had some success but hadn't been back to the next level lately and and then not only did he inherit the team he you know lost a player a tragedy right before the season started um and then somehow got them ready i mean i know we don't look at early season results often but after all of that that they endured in the offseason got them ready to beat saint john fisher 48 nothing in week one i mean that alone you know during the season the players are going to make the plays but there's a lot of coaching that goes into preparation for week one, and especially dealing with all that adversity. That's what I think made the case. You know, In my opinion, obviously I'm closer to the program than most people are. I went to half their games this season. Um, but you know, that was something where I could see a coach's direct contribution and the decisions he made to keep the coaching staff together, too, once they got hired on to take over for Jim Hilbert, and then you know, leading them to you know, 11 wins and you know, a great season and, you know, the I mean, 11 and a half wins. I mean, how much closer could that Wabash game have gone? But but they let it slip away, and that'll stay with them into next year. But I thought, you know, there's something more to that than just 
who won the national championship, although there is a deserving coach who won a national championship and prepared his team week in and week out for the grind uh, that, you know, to get them back to a place they hadn't been in a few years. So, And I don't know who won Coach of the Year. I'm just speculating here. So, you know, there's several deserving winners. I mean, Glenn Caruso took a number 14 preseason team all the way to one of the best stag bowls we've seen in a long time. With no preseason All-Americans, as I recall hearing many times over the last few weeks. A true team. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. We do appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, indeed. Uh, we will welcome back in Keith McMillan to uh, bring us through the rest of our podcast. Just so you know, Keith, we're at about the 44-minute mark, so we're doing all right <clears throat> to uh, talk about... Uh, players and coach of the year. So, uh, I know you and I have kind of discussed this previously, where sometimes, no, actually all the time in this podcast, you and I, at the end of the season, are coming in not having talked about it at all, um, and we kind of work through it on the air and come to some sort of consensus, and in, in all honesty, sometimes we enter this conversation and uh, you and I are not on the same page and you convince me, um, but I think felt like uh, we were both on the same page. Is that necessarily true? I mean, we already named it out on the website, but did you feel like that was the two that we ended up with were uh, were the only reasonable candidates or other people we should talk about on the way there? We're, we're talking coach of the year. Um, you know, I think there's there's two schools of thought on coach of the year. Uh, one is, is whose team played the best, whose team went the farthest, uh, but the other is who, who did the most with the least. And some years there have been teams that, that came out of the blue um, that were that were you know not just pretty good but playoff contenders or teams that won a whole lot more games than we expected teams that made a you know seven win jump from the previous season heck the first Glenn Caruso year was a, was a, was a case like that where uh, he took a two and eight team turned it into a to a, a winning program and so you know that's a, that's a coach of the year candidate and then you also have the the you know. Just the hurdles that that a guy like Vince Karras has had to clear, and, and you know I've said this many times. I think I have the number right. He won two titles as a player and eight as an assistant. Um, I believe he was so. So he's been around for all, but the maybe the very first uh, um, Mount Union title. But he's lost two times in Salem, and, and look, as, as successful as you've been, you, you win twenty eight games in two seasons, but you lose the national championship. You, you you hurt just like everybody else who, who didn't make it that far, you know, and maybe even more. Um, and, and he had a lot of hurdles to clear, right? He had a, he had a, didn't have an all star, all really a Mount Union legend losing a court at quarterback, won a national championship installing a wide receiver at quarterback, uh, great scheme on Friday night uh, defensively, you know, basically abandoning what they normally do in the four two five and, and bringing uh, many more guys uh, up to the line of scrimmage, bringing a, basically a backup linebacker in to play third linebacker. Uh, you know, not, it's not a normal 4-3 team, but they, they were a 4-3 uh, team at, at some times on, on Friday night. And so, um, you know, there was, a, there was a bonehead decision maybe in, in, in trying to, uh, you know, fake punt early in the game. But other than that, you, you can't really knock anything Vince Karras has done all season. Uh, beat Whitewater by 30 in the semifinals. Beat, beat Wesley. Uh, by by 21, uh, and th- and then won by two scores in the national championship game. So I- if you land on Vince Karras for your coach of the year, uh, be real hard to argue against it. And that's where we landed, indeed. Uh, Vince Karras, the uh, head coach of the University of Mountain Union, is the D3Football.com coach of the year. Now, the player of the year, of course, uh, both offensively and defensively, the only prerequisite is that these guys were on the first team all Americans, so that uh, you know that obviously eliminates all but twenty-two people, right? Uh, but it doesn't mean it has to be somebody who played in the national championship game, and sometimes it isn't. Um, but in this case, uh, I think it's uh, it's it's pretty reasonable to pick two guys who did. So if you look at the first team All Americans, which of course somehow we neglected to have in front of us, but um, you look at the the running backs, Jordan Roberts for St. Thomas Mason Zurich, who we've mentioned a few minutes ago for Wabash, Joe Callahan, the quarterback for Wesley. Uh, we haven't often had a wide receiver as national player of the year. Um, I, I, yeah, we did last year. Thanks, Adam. But not often. I, I chose my words specifically Remember, these are two copy editors on this podcast. We choose words uh, scarily, so 
Um, and and tight ends not uh, hasn't been a it hasn't happened at all. And uh, we haven't picked an offensive lineman as national offensive player of the year. Was he have once as a regional offensive player of the year? So I think we're talking about Callahan. We're talking about Roberts and Zurich. Um, and at that point, it's a relatively short list. Yeah, and, and you know you could certainly make the case for Joe Callahan since he. Um, went up against Mount Union, and, and you actually have a comparison with him and, and uh, Jordan Roberts and, and Mason Zurich face St. Thomas, so you can kind of actually have a basis to compare all these guys. It, it, it's sometimes hard when your candidates are someone who put up huge numbers in 10 or 11 games and then someone who put up you know ridiculous numbers in 15 games. But I think in this case, um, nobody changed their team more than, uh, than, than Jordan Roberts did. St. Thomas was was a eight win last team in the playoffs last season lost in the first round at Wartburg not a bad team by any means but but um, I was talking to Fritz Waldvogel uh, before the game and uh, he said you know as good as this this Tommy's team was they don't they don't get to Salem without Jordan Roberts so that's the kind of thing that that wins a guy offensive player of the year in my mind that kind of um, intangible and and you know the fact obviously that that he was a, a guy at South Dakota. Showed up to at St. Thomas because he wanted to go uh, to, school. to school at St. Thomas. Right? Didn't didn't come there to play football. And just kind of well, to, to to study to be a priest. Correct. I, I didn't want to sort of parrot the story that's been yeah. uh, said. So I mean, we have to say it at some point. I guess. All right. Well. So yeah. So you know, he kind of had a change in 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 what he wanted to study and vo- his vocation in, in life. Um, they didn't even know who he was. You know, they didn't ask. They didn't go get him. Uh, he's you know naturally uh, native of, of Wyoming. He was played at South Dakota, so I don't even know if, if they knew who he was when he showed up. Uh, but pretty quickly um, earned earned a role. Uh, you know, displaced a pretty good running back and uh, as as well, and, and that made their offense more dynamic. You know, by being able to uh, to um, Put Nick Waldvogel at wide receiver to shift, uh, you know, Jack Kaiser to, to get in fewer carries. Uh, battle through injury in the postseason. I mean, what what more could you uh, could you really ask for from a, from a guy in Jordan Roberts? Um, you could certainly make your case for Callahan. You could make your case for Mason Zurich, but uh, but but we've made our case, and, and I think it's for Roberts. Yeah, Jordan Roberts is the D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. If you look at the numbers, uh, adding in tonight, you know he ends up with 34 rushing touchdowns, 36 touchdowns on the season. He ends up with, uh, let's see, 2,092 rushing yards by my count. Um, and I'll, I'll say this too. I don't know if we're necessarily parroting other people. I talked to him in week four four or week three and uh um and did a little video interview with him about the whole coming to st thomas to do the seminary thing i we weren't first on it necessarily but we were a lot we were pretty early on it so I, i'm okay with uh, us talking about that so i just meant i didn't want to i didn't want to say something that you had already said <laughs> cleated cleric or the slashing seminarian which is something else i saw so uh yeah, Jordan Roberts, the uh, junior running back out of Sheridan, Wyoming, uh, for the University of St. Thomas. He is the D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. And look, one one more thing that that anyone out there um, who's played D3Football can relate to. Uh, Roberts, in the postgame, he's a junior, and he, he basically couldn't, you know, could could hardly talk in the in the postgame press conference because he's, he's tears in his eyes he's sad for and he said he's sad for the seniors these guys who he's you know gotten to know over the course of the year oh uh, played with over the, the past days or like yeah i think it's 126 is what they said in the post game yeah glenn keeps track um but but you know a team guy as well i mean oh, add to all that on top of it someone who who um you know just had the greatest season of his life um and and you know couldn't care less because because they, they didn't win the national championship they weren't able to finish it off yeah, that says a lot. Um, let's move on to the defensive side where uh, we talked about this in the pregame show when we were running down the first team, D3Football.com All-Americans. There were three Tommies on offense who were first-teamers, and there were three Mount Union players on defense who were first-teamers. Uh, we're talking about Tom Lally. We're talking about Alex Kocheff. And we're talking about Trey Jones, the cornerback. Uh, you know, those three guys are each candidates. So I think Coach F more so than Jones, and they play in the same level of the defense. Uh, I think probably Adam Dansdill, the linebacker from Wheaton, is the leading linebacker among the group. Um, 
So we're really talking about three guys. Uh, Lally up front, Kochif in the secondary, and Dan Still in the linebackers. That's what I kind of felt where, and the voting kind of turned out that way, is the top guys at each of those uh, uh, levels of the defense. I mean, you could probably make a case for Alex Hoff from, from Linfield as yeah, well. Uh, a guy who's, you know, capable of making highlight plays, leaping over somebody uh, in the postseason, uh, someone who was, I don't know if, if heart of the defense is the right way, but certainly someone who just made big play after big play for Linfield. And sometimes we don't, uh, we don't get a, as much chance um, um, to see it during the season because you're trying to keep track of 240-some-odd teams and, uh, and you forget about um, um, each, you know, certain individual teams. But rose to the occasion in the, in the postseason, so you could make a case for him as well. But, um, uh, you know, when you look at the guys who were on the field tonight, Coach F didn't have his best game. Um, so if, if 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 he was one of the the choices, it'd certainly be uh, it'd be be. I mean, you know, if you're giving out a career award, someone who started 60 games, you give it to him. Uh, but after the game he had tonight, wasn't wasn't his his best night. He, he couldn't care less probably because uh, they won a national championship. Uh, Tom Lally made a huge, just a huge difference. Uh, anytime he was on the field, basically someone who started out uh, playing defensive end. Uh, Played also some, so, you know, he his he basically he, let me rephrase it, he rushes like like a defensive end, he can he can bend the corner, um, he he has such quick get off he could be a defensive end. Mount Union used him as a defensive tackle and someone who he he, he made an impact from the very first year he was at Mount Union. Played in the Stag Bowl, the first time they met St. Thomas, and he's someone we you know remember from that game, being feisty, being giving a good effort. Um, but he had a huge impact on, on the game on Friday night. He sure did. And uh, no arguments here. Tom Lally, the D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. These are the numbers coming into the game, <clears throat> and I don't have a full defensive packet. I know he picked up at least one more sack on Friday night. But he came into the game with uh, 23 and a half tackles for loss, 18 sacks. He was already the career leader for sacks. He is the single-season leader for sacks for Mountain Union. And, uh, you know, although... Uh, yeah, we're still doing the podcast, man. I'm sorry. I hear you guys over there in the other booth. I hear you over there in the other booth. We're still working on it here. Um, but, <laughs> well, we're working. I know, you were working earlier. I'm also eating pizza. Uh, it's really good pizza. Thanks again to Mac and Bob's for uh, hosting us, as they do pretty much after the Stag Bowl every year. But Tom Lally, the D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. Jordan Roberts, D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. And the Coach of the Year is Vince Karras with his first Division Three Football National Championship as a head coach. We're on to our yearly wrap-ups, unless you had something else you wanted to drop in there. I, I just thought one more um, vote in, in Lally's favor is where this game was won on Friday night, the national championship in the second half. Mount Union's run defense was so much better than it was early on in the game, and that started on that defensive line uh, with Lally. Of course, you know, Ferda, Vidal, Durham Alarms, Elijah Berry, guys like that all, all played a role, but, but Lally was, would play the biggest role. We're up to the, uh, <clears throat> the point where we wrap up the year and start doing our thank yous. We've kind of wrapped up the year a little bit, so just skip forward into a lot of the people that we have to thank in the course of this 2015 Division Three football season. It's a year in which uh, we have some new people working for us. We, um, you know, we brought in some new people to write for kickoff. Uh, Adam Turr took on a huge role in terms of editing and directing our uh, editing content during the regular season and directing our postseason content. And that is super important because that freed us up to do other things. Yeah, I mean, you know, the same way a coach wants to uh, wants to develop, you know, his his players. We tried to um, develop guys working with us over the years to uh, to the point where you know there you can pretty much trust the site to to some of. Uh, some folks who, uh, you know, at one point were just kind of contributing an article every now and again for us, and now they're they're just as big a part of this thing as we are. And so, a lot of people say thanks for to Pat and Keith for everything you do. Well, it's now like Pat and Keith and Ryan and and Adam and Dave and Frank and and all these uh, other guys who who help us out and make this thing work. And everywhere we go, Pat, this is true almost every single time I've traveled, and I imagine for you as well. People uh, thank us for the site. 
and um, because it does kind of bring together something that's so scattered, you know, from Maine to California, from Pacific Northwest to now Alabama and Georgia, uh, Texas, Wisconsin, all these places. It's just so hard to keep track of it. There's no way you'd know about this unless there was some kind of unified place where you can make sense of it all. 28 conferences, 247 teams. 248. He keep correcting me on that. I've, I guess I've been saying it wrong all year. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 248. I could be wrong, I guess. We haven't mentioned Finlandia yet in this podcast, so while, while we're at it, they joined. Adam Turr mentioned them in the pregame show, though. Oh, uh, did he? Finlandia. We got to mention oh, Finlandia. You don't, have, and, you don't and, have to come back to talk about Finlandia. It just, and, got, it just got dropped in here in the closing. So, yeah, so, uh, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Everybody gives us compliments when uh, when we're out, and you know we we humbly uh, accept them. And I'm not bringing that up to, to brag, but I just be, you know we do this thing for the same reason all the players play because we love it, and uh, and that's a, a big um, see you know getting that gratitude. I think is a big reason why we continue to do it. Why we would why we would even bother to broadcast while John Legend is, is singing in the background <laughs> and you're chomping on pizza because. Uh, people, people listen. As long as you guys are out there listening, um, you know, then, then we'll keep doing it. But it takes a lot of sacrifice, you know, from folks helping us out and, and sometimes taking time away from our jobs and our families. I mean, my kids, man, Friday night is our movie night, and, and, and they gave me a, the, the, the biggest guilt trip going away for this game on, on Friday night. God forbid they had to watch a movie without me, you know. But, uh, but um, you know, that, that's kind of... Uh, we, we like this thing so much. We're, we're willing to spend time away from our families and, and everyone else who does that. Um, you know, we, we thank them, too. I mean, from the photography staff to, uh, to you know, the Dave on production and, and everybody. You know, the thanks is usually your department, but I, I, I kind of I say it from, uh, from, the, from the bottom of my heart this time because uh, especially uh, this year, me, I, I, I could step back a little bit, not right in the Around the Nation column anymore but ryan tips is, is doing a great job with it and uh being able to see the organization grow you know makes me proud and, and you know getting that kind of i guess respect as we go across the country you know a lot of people have tried to, to dip their toe in the water as far as covering d3 and the only way you can do it you know you, you can have the fanciest setup you can have um backing but you know unless you go to games and you, you meet people and, and talk to people you um you know you don't really earn that respect of those of us who kind of live this so uh it, it comes with time and it comes with work and and one last thing that i kind of would just want to tack on is is uh you know being here in salem um it, it humanizes the, the whole experience you know you to see the dejection st thomas after the game to see them say that's what's going to drive them to get back to to see the joy mountain union finally break through you know you hear about the machine and it, and it dehumanizes them and then you see the, you see the joy thank you it's a guy in a st thomas sweatshirt just walked by saying thanks well that, that could have only could have been more perfectly timed if it would happened about yeah i was gonna say 30 seconds it's fine it's actually perfect timing um I just think, you know, being here humanizes it, and so it's easy to kind of hate Mountain Union from afar, to hate St. Thomas or Whitewater, and hate's probably a strong word, but to maybe to envy the teams that get here all the time and, and think that they don't appreciate it. They really do. You know, again, you saw the joy. Uh, you know, Jonathan Gunnell smiling ear to ear the entire press conference. Charisse Scott basically speechless, but with his arm around Coach Vince Karras in, in the postgame. Those are moments that stood out to me and, uh, and really humanized the whole experience. You mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago about <clears throat> your kids when you walk out the door. I have uh, I have three kids ranging from age 18 to 10 and a half, and the 10 and a half year old now these days when I pull out the the roller bag to get ready to pack, she says, "You're going away again." Now, early in the season, that's especially painful because I was traveling quite a bit in September, so she kind of guilt tripped me into staying home for a couple weeks. But the last couple weeks, it's been you know she said. I was leaving on Tuesday, and I'm not going to be back until late Saturday night. She says, how long are you going to be gone? Um, and I have an 18-year-old at home waiting on the University of Chicago to admit her for the fall. So we are very hopeful and very anxious. And, and I mean anxious because we mentioned copy editors, not eager as much as we're anxious to uh, hear from the University of Chicago. So please, uh, you know, admit Elizabeth Coleman 
to uh, your incoming class. Oh, they're not going to actually... The admissions department isn't going to hear this. <coughs> Table two over there is going nuts on that. Um, but those are the... Yeah, those are the things that the, and the people that we leave behind in order to do this. So thank you to everybody at home for all of the people who are here and all the people who travel and take time out of their lives to write and contribute to the site. Uh, we definitely thank all the people who we have left behind. Uh, again... The uh, final score, which you haven't mentioned probably now in about 45 minutes or so, uh, Mountain Union defeating the University of St. Thomas by the score of 49 to 35 in Stag Bowl 43. This was Around the Nation podcast number 147 for the week of December 19th. 2015. It's the final one for the 2015 season, and we do appreciate you downloading us on iTunes or whatever your podcast player and podcast stories of choice. We do appreciate that. Do feel free to give us a rating and also a review in your podcast store that will help other people find it. Even though we may not have another podcast until August or September, we do definitely appreciate that because that uh, helps elevate the d3football.com around the nation podcast in the pantheon of all podcasts there were podcasts before serial came along and we were one of them uh this is we've forgotten how many years this is is this nine eight i believe i believe 2005 was the first year we did it but the best part about that is we did it outside of the usa today building back on this recorder back when we both used to work there it was 10 minutes and it was scripted and then we've since grown it to uh, sometimes unscripted over an hour. We've gone back to kind of giving ourselves a little bit of a, um, a, a, a script to work from over the uh, past few years, and I feel like that's worked out a lot better. But uh, some of us check out at the end of the D3 football season, but if you, uh, if you love D3 sports in general, uh, Pat and the gang will, will, will pick up tomorrow. D3 hoops and go into D3 baseball season. There's uh, D3, D3 hockey. hockey. I was gonna say Ray Biggs and and, and the gang. So um, we're you know we're around year round, even though the podcasts necessarily aren't. Oh, no, I was going to let the music take us out. Come on. I thought you were finishing a sentence first. Uh, So, yeah, that is indeed the Around the Nation podcast. Thank you, one. Thank you all. Also, I must mention that we didn't get to do this on the air. This copyrighted broadcast of Division Three Football is the property of D3Football.com and intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or the use of descriptions and account to this game without the express written consent of D3Football.com is strictly prohibited.